லவிங் சாய்ராம் என் கிரீட்டிங்ஸ் ஃப்ரம் பிரசாந்தி நிலையம் ஃபார் குவைட் சம் டைம் ஐ ஹேவ் பீன் ரிசீவிங் மெயில் ஆஸ்கிங் மீ டு கிவ் அ சீரீஸ் ஆஃப் டாக்ஸ் ஆன் தி பகவத்கீதா இன் மை ஏர்லியர் மியூசிங்ஸ் ஐ ஹேவ் நோ டவுட் டஸ்ட் அப்பான் மேட்டர்ஸ் டிஸ்கஸ்ட் இன் தி கீதா பட் கிவிங் அன் என்டையர் சீரீஸ் இஸ் அ டிஃப்ரெண்ட் மேட்டர் ஆல் டுகெதர் இட் ரிக்வயர்ஸ் டைம் அண்ட் கான்சன்ட்ரேஷன் ஆஃப் அ டைப் I am no longer able to afford too much work to put it very simply. And yet the pressure has been mounting all the time. So I have finally decided to yield to the pressure treating this also as a part of my regular work. First things first and let me begin by offering this entire series every word of it to Swami who is the sole motivator and the inspirer next a word of caution to you my dear listener who has been with me all these years i shall try and do my best but please do bear with me for blemishes that are bound to creep in with this caveat let me take the plunge i do not exactly remember when i first heard about the gita it sure must have been when i was very young in some manner or the other strange as it may sound there has always been a bit of geeta in the air of this country and since gandhi was very much alive when i was young and since he always swore by the geeta i am sure in some vague way i kept on absorbing now and then a bit of the geeta both directly as well as indirectly Here, I must rush to caution that the Gita must not be thought of as a text apart from the rest of ancient Indian tradition and spirituality. The Ramayana, for example, is, according to me, a worked example of the Gita, and as you know, it came before the Gita was actually taught to man. In a sense, it is amazing, but in another sense, it is not, because... The spirit of the Gita has been the spirit of this country from times immemorial. Anyway, to get back to my ramblings, till I retired and came here to Swami's lotus feet to spend the rest of my life, my knowledge of the Gita was less than a smattering. It is only here in Prashanti Nilayam that my curiosity was aroused, mainly by Swami's discourses. and of course his famous three sessions since then the gita has always been with me i first studied it in some detail and began to think about it i then discovered that swami was teaching us the very same lessons far more elaborately and with innumerable examples this inspired me to pay close attention to his discourses after that i read the gita vahini and discovered new treasures and the discovery goes on the beauty is that as one's experience accumulates the nuances of the gita and of swami's teachings become more and more evident thus these days i am able to see far more clearly than ever before how much the gita is relevant to human society at the current juncture more about this later but here i might mention 
that this series would intertwine with my other series on awareness, which is going on concurrently. In a sense, these two series are like the two strands of the DNA, same message but presented in a complementary fashion. I guess I have said enough by way of an opening statement and let me now really get started. The Gita is God's message to man and therefore it is useful to start with the question, Who is man? This is not as stupid a question as it might sound to some. In the cosmos that spans everything from the tiniest atom to incredibly large human galaxies, the human being occupies a very special place. The reason is simple. As Swami says, man is 85% divine, 85% divine, and only 15% contamination. However, deluded by the illusory attractions of the world, humans allow the impurity aspect to dominate, masking the latent divinity. Often this eclipse becomes near total, making individuals wonder whether they are really divine, though Swami often reminds them that they are. Occasionally, some people suddenly wake up and realize that there is an entity called God and they start going in search of Him. That's good, but they do not know how to search and where to search. Gita is the manual that helps in that journey of discovery. That is the first teaching of Swami. Okay, how do we go about searching for God and how do we budget time for it? Do we, for example, say, Alright, I will look for God once a week on Sunday or when I take my annual vacation. Nothing of that sort. You may not like to hear it, but according to Swami, our entire life must be a quest for God. Now, don't blame me. That is what God says. But listen, do not jump into a well of frustration. It is not as bad as it might seem. And there sure is a beautiful reward if we make life a journey to God. Which brings me to the important question, what is the purpose of life? This question has got etched into my memory because of one particular Thrai session. For those of you who are not familiar, the Thrai session refers to the intimate sessions that Swami has with the boys, Pen, Ease and Brindavan. After the evening darshan is over, the boys run to the Thrai building and assemble in the circular veranda there. At one end of this veranda, there is a swing. And after all the boys are gathered, Swami gently floats in and takes his seat. At first, there is some small talk about this and that. After which, the more substantive part gets underway, if that is what Swami wants. I mention this because some days it is chit-chat all the way through. On this day, Swami asked, What is the purpose of life? All sorts of replies were given, first by the boys and then by some of the elders gathered. Swami kept on shaking his head as if to say no. Finally, everyone gave up and there was silence. Swami then slowly said, the purpose of life is 
to go back to God. From God you have come and to God you must return. In the Gita Vahini, Swami gives expression to this by saying, Man is born so that he need not be born again. And when he dies, he never should have to die again. What it means is that we must make sure that at least during this lifetime, we use our stay on earth to get back to our true home, namely God. By the way, the Gita Vahini is a must read and the book is readily available in our bookstore here. Later on, I shall have more to say about rebirth. Let me now take you back to Trai Vrindavan and recall another particular session. On this day, Swami asked, What is the essence of the Gita? Many replies were given, but Swami simply remained silent. Obviously, the correct answer was yet to come. Swami then changed his approach by asking, What is the first stanza of the Gita? This time, many came forth with the correct answer. The same happened when Swami asked, What is the last stanza of the Gita? Swami smiled and now asked, What do you get when you combine the last word of the last stanza with the first word of the first stanza? That was easy and the boys in a chorus shouted, Mama Dharma! Swami nodded his head and said, That is right, Mama Dharma! is the real essence of the Gita. What he meant was that leading one's life according to the principle of Dharma is really what the Gita is all about. That, incidentally, would be the constant theme underlying this series, understandably so. I am sure you all know that Krishna taught the Gita to Arjuna just before the start of the epic war between the Pandavas and the Kauravas on the battlefield in Kurukshetra. Surveying the two opposing armies waiting to slaughter each other, Arjuna has deep misgivings about the usefulness of war and wants to quit. That is when Krishna begins his advice to Arjuna. Arjuna began with what seemed like a pep talk. But as he went along, Krishna gave detailed justification for why he wanted Arjuna to fight and not quit. This is a very important point and needs deep reflection. Arjuna argued against war, saying that it was not worth winning a kingdom after killing one's own kith and kin, etc., etc. On the face of it, Arjuna's point appears quite convincing but there were nuances that Arjuna ignored and Krishna pointed out that there was much more at stake than winning back a kingdom that the Kauravas had grabbed by deceit. One might even say that Krishna had engineered the whole thing, including the sudden misgivings of Arjuna. The war was not about a kingdom, but about Dharma versus Adharma. Arjuna, who had earlier sworn to fight on the side of Dharma, was at the last minute giving all kinds of reasons and trying to quit. Krishna said, No way, you can't duck duty. And that is what Mama Dharma really means. 
in his elaboration krishna points out that in life one gets constantly entangled by the tussle between good and evil this struggle is a never ending one and humans must never remain neutral or duck they always have the responsibility to fight for the cause of dharma upholding dharma that is what duty really boils down to fighting does not necessarily mean taking up arms and waging war but standing up to adharma and not letting it get away seen in this manner we all have to admit that bhagavad gita is needed more now than ever before which is also why mama dharma is so very relevant in this day and age thus in this series i shall stress mama dharma at every conceivable opportunity something that's not usually done but then i am just trying to follow swami Moving on the Gita really brought about a change of attitude in society prior to Krishna seeking divinity was something that rishis mostly attempted they would retire to the forest meditate intensely and seek god ordinary people on the other hand lived their lives as usual the Gita changed all that Krishna ensured that his message was delivered under dramatic circumstances and in a forceful manner so that it would reach all and also be remembered for a long time. The beauty of the Gita is that it allows people to seek God in different ways best suited to them but moving in a general direction the direction of dharma. In particular the Gita opened the door to making ordinary life a gateway to God by blending bhakti with life. thus reaching god was no longer the exclusive prerogative of the rishis more about this later on there is one thing i ought to mention at this point i said a little while ago that krishna manipulated events so that his message could be delivered under dramatic circumstances that is to say just before the famous kurukshetra war began commenting on this swami says and i quote the field on which the battle was fought was called dharmakshetra historically this was a sacred place where sacred and auspicious acts were performed at the same time historically it was also the place where the wicked offsprings of kuru the dynastic family of the kauravas lived so it was also called kurukshetra when a body is born it is pure and unblemished such a body is a dharmakshetra as the body grows it goes on collecting different types of bad qualities like jealousy hatred attachment and so on when these tendencies develop the same body becomes kurukshetra thus the same body is both dharmakshetra and kurukshetra good and bad are both encased in your heart The war between the Pandavas and the Kauravas did not last for more than 18 days but the war between the forces of good and the forces of evil continues throughout your life it has no end the war is fought on the field of dharma I hope you are getting the point in brief sloshing within the same person are the forces of both good as well as evil as Swami says quote Life is a battlefield at Dharmakshetra 
where duties and desires are always in conflict end of quote that's right sometimes the forces of good dominate while at other times it is the other way the question is which one has the upper hand generally the answer to that depends entirely on the tendency of the person concerned if man allows himself to be guided purely by the instincts of the senses he would descend to the level of an animal if he follows the body and the mind he would be transformed into a demon man's only option is to follow the heart under all circumstances that is the reminder that krishna gave to mankind when he spoke to arjuna and the essence of that reminder is mama dharma and that is also the reminder that swami is giving us in view of the above my presentation on the gita would be different from the conventional ones the standard operating procedure is to go through the gita shloka by shloka with comments illustrations explanations etc etc i would be doing it differently i shall be taking either one chapter or a cluster of chapters with a common theme draw attention to the highlights and then try to explain how all this is connected with mama dharma in other words like the planets all moving around the sun i shall take you along different orbits but always looking at the central theme the sun which is mama dharma that is what would make this series a bit unusual and i adopt this approach not merely because swami has declared mama dharma is the essence of gita but also because mama dharma is the indeed the crying need of the hour I strongly believe that is why Swami has forcefully called attention to it and my task therefore is to reinforce that call. I hope I have made my point of view clear. A few more comments before I wind up. The book Gita that we all buy and read has about 700 shlokas. Many have had this doubt. 700 shlokas did krishna really sing his way through all these 700 verses right in the middle of the battlefield while the two armies were facing each other and itching to fight did the armies really patiently wait for krishna to finish believe it or not a curious person even ventured to ask swami that question and you know what swami did swami smiled and replied that krishna spoke to arjuna only for a few minutes later sage vyasa who is himself considered to be an aspect of vishnu whose incarnation krishna is supposed to be sage vyasa amplified what krishna said to arjuna into 700 odd verses packaging them into 18 chapters that the world now knows as the gita there are also a couple of other points that swami has made that are relevant in the present context first point Why did Krishna give that advice to Arjuna why not someone else We seldom ask this question but Swami has raised and answered it too On the face of it the eldest brother Yudhishthira who was always very meticulous about following dharma seems more qualified to receive Krishna's advice That being the case why Arjuna Swami has clarified and I quote There were many noble souls at that time. There was Dharmaraja, the personification of all dharma and virtues. There was Bhima, the powerhouse of physical strength. 
What is the special merit that Arjuna possessed and others did not? Arjuna knew he was morally inferior to his brother Dharmaraja and he himself wished to know why he was more deserved. He asked Krishna who replied, Arjuna, Bhishma the tenacious warrior and venerable scholar knows that justice is on the side of the Pandavas. He has even made a public proclamation of this. And you see what he is doing? He is leading the Kaurava army, which means that his deeds do not correspond to his thoughts and words. Harmony of thought, word and deed is the greatest virtue, and its absence is hypocrisy and wickedness. Your elder brother Dharmaraja, he is subject to the common failing of repentance rather than prior consideration. He is a noble soul, but he lacks foresight and is guilty of remorse for his past mistakes. On the other hand, Bhima, who has tremendous physical prowess and is dexterous with his mighty club, unfortunately, he is deficient in intellectual strength, the greatest strength of all. A man without the power of discrimination cannot absorb this subtle teaching. End of quote. What a beautiful passage. Can you find anything like that in the writing of any scholar in the 5,000 years that have passed since the Gita was first taught to man? Besides admiring Swami's simple but remarkable exposition, I want you to note that he is drawing attention to one, the importance of the harmony of thought, word and deed or Trikarna Suddhi as Swami sometimes refers to. Two, the importance of spiritual discrimination. These two qualities, Trikarna Suddhi and Buddhi, are vital for the following Mamadharma. One other remark I would like to make is the following. The Gita is often portrayed as a delineation of three beautiful yogas, the Karma Yoga, the Bhakti Yoga and the Jnana Yoga. Later on, I hope to explain what exactly these mean. But here, I must call attention to a simple yet amazingly beautiful insight that Swami has given concerning these. Swami says, Work must be transformed into worship, whereupon it would automatically lead to wisdom. Work, worship, wisdom. Three steps. In the language of the Gita, what it means is, start with Karma Yoga, add Bhakti, and then you would automatically end up with jnana or wisdom and thereafter become united with God, which is what the word yoga means, union with God. Dear listener, we seldom pause to reflect on the sheer beauty and simplicity of Swami's teachings. We are all in such a tearing hurry all the time sending useless SMS messages. Ramakrishna Paramahamsa says that God alone can explain complicated things in such a simple manner that even a child can understand. Here is the avatar spending so much of his time trying to give us the gift of Atma Vidya or the knowledge of the Self. And we waste our time doing all sorts of irrelevant and inconsequential things. The purpose of these talks is mainly to take you back to that pristine source of eternal knowledge. God give me the strength to do that. Getting on, I must make sure that before I conclude, I make references to a few other points. The first concerns Sreyas versus Prayas. 
Swami used to make frequent reference to this in the old days, but these days he seldom does. Perhaps he has got tired because few seem to be paying attention. Since the point is very important, allow me to explain what it is all about. Prayers refers to the pleasures that the external world so obligingly and so readily offers, whereas Shreyas refers to the bliss that comes when one explores the depth of the inner world. Man is so much immersed in and involved with the external world, he is all the time in quest of prayers, whereas prayers appears nectarine and deludes, soon the pleasure turns into pain as people who have become drug addicts or alcoholics would readily testify. Okay, agreed, prayers is bad medicine. Can we therefore simply cut off from the external world? Is that at all possible in this day and age? Swami has the answer. Let me explain that answer using the modern idiom. These days, millions and millions not only have a computer, but are also connected to the internet. Now, the internet is full of viruses waiting to attack. So what do smart people do? They equip their systems with firewalls that block viruses. That is what we must do while going through life. Yes, we must be in society and be involved with its activities as a doctor, lawyer, teacher, pilot or whatever. However, at the same time, the mind must be suitably protected with a firewall. The Gita describes the firewall system that we must install. Swami has described this beautifully during one summer course. He said, when we walk, we use both feet, the right leg and the left leg. In the same way, we must go through life by being in the outer world and also by spending time in the inner world. It's like this, we go out and play say, a vigorous game of tennis. What do we do when we come back? We take a shower, do we not? In the same way, we must set some time apart so that we can retreat into the inner world and periodically take spiritual showers, if I may say so. This balance is required. Swami all the time recommends balance. He does not want us to withdraw. He did not want Arjuna to quit. He wanted him to go out there and fight. But fight keeping Mamadharma in view. Similarly, as Swami says, our hands must be in society while our heads must be in the forest. A beautiful metaphoric expression of the fact that life must be a balance between a quest for praise and a search for sreyas. Next, a few words about man and his position as well as role in creation. This is a very important point and merits a few words. Man is a part of creation which exists because God created it. This we all accept. Now, God in his infinite compassion and mercy has packed the universe with all kinds of goodies and man generously helps himself to it. For example, the oil below the ground. God has no objection to man using the toil. In fact, man sells the oil he pumps out and makes huge profits. But does he offer even one cent to God? Hardly, but God does not mind. What is worse, man does not even spend one moment thanking God for all that he has provided so that man may live and prosper. Now tell me, 
how many of us ever take a second day off to thank god for air so vital for the sustenance of life we breathe all the time we breathe the air that is given to us free but do we ever thank god for that we hardly ever do instead mankind today is constantly polluting air in a thousand different ways by smoking using cars that emit horrible gases by building huge steel plants that pump hundreds of thousands of tons of sulfuric acid every year into the atmosphere and so on this is the way man expresses his gratitude to god this is not gratitude but ingratitude the gita reveals that the universe revolves using a delicately constructed chain of sacrifice and that man is an integral part of the chain of sacrifice he simply cannot dissociate himself from the chain of sacrifice as he is presently trying to do if he tries to cut off there would be a very heavy price to pay the way things are going now it looks like that the writing may be on the wall in fact the gita let it be known made clear 5000 years ago how man must live in harmony with creation which means being true to his divine origin being compassionate to fellow human beings not harming society and being in harmony with and respectful to mother nature if he fails to do that all his profession of love for god would be empty and without any meaning two more points and i'm really through firstly a quote from gandhi i simply cannot resist from making the occasional reference to gandhi because he made the gita come alive in many aspects of life that we normally consider to be far from spirituality like politics for example gandhi says and i quote man is not at peace with himself till he has become like unto god the endeavor to reach this state is the supreme and the only ambition worth having and this is self realization this self realization is the subject of the gita as it is of all scriptures the gita has become for us a spiritual reference book end of quote as we go along i would be saying many things but at the core of them all would be the following take home lessons one fight the battle of life and let virtue vanquish vice two accept the work that falls to your lot and do it cheerfully swami puts it beautifully he says we must like what we do instead of trying to do what we like three work without bothering about rewards and always lovingly offer what you do to god four have the firm and unshakable belief that if we repose full faith in god he will always take care of us as swami says you take one step towards me and i shall take a hundred steps towards you five above all we must never forget that we all are whether we are conscious of it or not the instruments of god he is the real and ultimate doer if we surrender and leave everything to him he will take care of it all remember what swami says why fear when i am here so dear listener mama dharma is the essential core of the message of the gita and understanding it means understanding the five take home lessons i just listed that brings me to the end of this talk i hope i have not lost you on the way i have lots more to say in the future talks in all this 
I shall always try and stay close to the central theme of Mamma Dharma, rather than laboriously dragging you through the 700 and odd slokas. I am not equipped to do that and there are many wonderful and scholarly texts already available that can take you on that kind of a tour. I want to give you instead a helicopter ride, pointing out all the time to the beautiful earth below called Mama Dharma. Offering my gratitude to Bhagwan, I shall stop here for today. May God always be with you. Jai Sai Ram.